Thank you, Teresa. We're in Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. I entitled the message today, Legit. And you're like, wait a minute, that's not how that word's spelled. <laughs> You'll understand with this opening illustration. J-I-T is a form of inventory management that requires working closely with suppliers so that raw materials arrive as production is scheduled to begin, but no sooner. The goal is to have the minimum amount of inventory on hand to meet demand. JIT inventory management ensures that stock arrives as is needed for production or to meet consumer demand, but no sooner. The goal is to eliminate waste and increase the efficiency of your operations, since the main objective is often quality and not the lowest price. JIT requires long-term contracts with reliable suppliers. JIT is what's known as a lean management process. In JIT, all parts of any production or service system, particularly people, are interconnected. They inform each other and are mutually dependent on generating successful outcomes. The practice's uh, or origin comes from Kazen, a Japanese term meaning change for the better. Originating, originating in Japan, the business philosophy looks to continuously improve operations and involve all employees from assembly line workers to the CEO. Like JIT, the goal is to reduce waste and improve quality. So you're wondering what JIT means, don't you? It means just-in-time inventory. So you probably saw that up there instead of just-in-case. So you're not hanging on to a whole lot of inventory. You, these businesses <coughs> that are using just-in-time um, inventory management, are there, you know, it's, it, inventory's coming in and then it's going right back out as they're producing the different things. So the raw materials are, are brought in uh, as they're needed. And so <coughs> we're going to see how that relates to this passage today and then to Christmas as well uh, at the very end. So between um, our second and third son, sons, I should say, um, we had a miscarriage. And so um, uh, that was kind of tough, you know. We had to tell everybody that was our little girl. <laughs> we gave her a name. She's in heaven. Um, but Judy's body did not naturally remove the fetus, so she had to have a procedure to remove it. And, of course, the procedure created scar tissue in the uterus, which posed a problem with the next pregnancy, which was our youngest son. It's not uncommon for the egg to implant low in the uterus because of the scar tissue in the uterine wall. And early on in that pregnancy, Judy was diagnosed with what they call placenta previa. <clears throat> the condition happens when a baby's placenta partially or fully covers the mother's cervix, the outlet to the uterus, which is the opening to the birth canal. Natural birth is not an option, and delivery requires a C-section. During the pregnancy, we kept praying that the placenta would move up the uterine wall and not cover the cervix. And so God answered those prayers, and we saw through various ultrasounds the movement of that placenta. It just kept scooting its way up the side. It was amazing. Judy was able to have a natural delivery of our third son. And we trusted and had faith in God's power and ability to cause the placenta to move on its own. God allowed the placenta to move just in time. Isn't that cool? And it happened just that way. And so I want you to think today, because every one of us probably has uh, or could share a time when we've experienced God's power through our faith arriving at just the right time. It wasn't too early. It wasn't too late. Although we may have felt that it was too late or getting too late, but it wasn't. 
Perhaps our experience is centered around a medical issue or a pregnancy. Maybe our experience had to do with finances and God providing at just the right time. Some people have experienced God's perfect timing through relationships. Students can attest to the fact that God helped them to complete a paper or project just in time, right? You're like, whoo, got that done just in time to turn in. Well, Abraham and Sarah had been living in the promised land for 25 years. Abraham had received a word from God of a promised son. While he may have thought that Ishmael was that promised son, the Lord reminded him that the promised son would come from him and Sarah. At just the right time, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. God's promises are legit. They're legitimate. Sarah had heard the promise just a year before and had laughed with doubt. Abraham had also laughed when he heard the promise, but his laughter was filled with faith instead of doubt. And what we're going to see today in Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 7, is this big idea, and it actually comes, I'm quoting directly from Warren Wiersbe's commentary, faith in God's promises releases God's power. So faith in God's promises releases God's power. And as we just think on that big idea for just a moment, would you bow your heads with me as we commit it to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we rejoice in the fact that your Holy Spirit is with us now. And that as followers of Jesus Christ, he lives within us. He illumines our minds to your word. And Lord, that's what we're asking for today. The illumination of our minds to your word. Your word is powerful. Lord, we could just read it and not even expound on it or apply it, and it would still do its work in our hearts and minds. So Lord, I pray today, that your powerful word would move throughout this place in a way that just transforms us. And so, Lord, we are listening for your voice. We're, we want to be attentive to what you have for us today, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at three points today. Obtained obedience, and then the final one um, just slipped in my memory overjoyed. There's the third O. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Here we see that this son is obtained. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. So here we see that this is taking place, that this is all happening at just the right time. Just in time. We see the fact that it says here that the Lord was gracious to Sarah. The Hebrew word actually literally means visited. So the Lord visited Sarah and said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do for you what I said, what I promised. It meant that God intervened in the affairs of humanity. It meant that God supernaturally superseded nature. Her, she was as good as dead. Her, her womb was dead. See, God was concerned about Abraham and Sarah. He, he didn't give them this promise just to simply say, well, it's too late. You're too old. It's not going to happen. No, this was so that God would be glorified. And um, Hamilton mentions this. We have here an instance where visit takes on the connotation of Yahweh mercifully delivering one uh, from an apparently hopeless situation, that is, infertility. And so we see God just interceding. So that takes us to the first principle today. God keeps his promises. Boy, this is just a key uh, principle 
a key promise that we need to hold on to. He's never early and he's never late. He keeps his promises in his time and in his way. Now, this is especially difficult for us in America because we are accustomed to instant gratification, right? You know, if God made a promise, then I expect it to happen like tomorrow, right? <laughs> and I think that's probably what Abraham and Sarah were thinking. Like, well, okay, this is great. God said we're going to have a son together. This is awesome. 25 years later, right? I'm like, oh, man. We're so accustomed to this instant gratification. Most times we do not have to wait for anything. Patience is a virtue, they say, but it's one virtue most people in our society lack, right? <laughs> How many of you prayed that prayer? God, give me patience and give it to me now. <clears throat> that just shows our impatience, doesn't it? I want, I want patience. I want to be patient. Wait for this, but can you give it to me now? Wearsby says this, trusting God's promises not only gives you a blessing at the end, but it gives you a blessing while you are waiting. Now, I would say that most of us do not recognize the blessing while we're waiting, right? We become frustrated and angry with God. What's taking so long? What's happening? We experience dissolution toward God. Doubt in God's ability to do the supernatural begins to creep in which can breed doubt in his existence, his love, his compassion, and his care for us. And that doubt can drive people away from a personal relationship with the Lord. And it has. It's like, well, God didn't answer my prayer. My guess is he did, but you didn't like the answer. Right? Because he probably said, wait or no. And you're like, well, no, that's not... I was praying in such a way that he needs to say yes. Right? That's, that's our expectation. It's like, God, I'm praying this prayer, and I'm expecting it tomorrow. And the answer is going to be yes. And so then we get, become disillusioned. We become angry with God because he didn't answer our prayers. He did. In the midst of our frustration and anger and disillusion and doubt, we have to hold on to faith in an all-powerful God who is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. Wearsby goes on. He says, faith is a journey, and each happy destination is the beginning of a new journey. When God wants to build our patience, he gives us promises, sends us trials, and tells us to trust him. Did you get that today? When, when we want to build our patience, or when God wants to build our patience, he gives us promises, sends us trials, and tells us to trust him. Is God building your patience right now? What promise or promises has he given to you? Take a moment to write them down. What trials are you experiencing currently? Take a moment to write them down. Are you trusting the Lord through those trials? James writes this in, in uh, his epistle, chapter 1, verses 2 to 8. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> what? <laughs> pure joy? What are you talking about, James? You, you must have never gone through what I went through or I'm going through. He did. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by, this, by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. God allows these trials for a reason, for a purpose. It's to, to help us to mature and to be complete. <clears throat> it's to create perseverance in us. 
It's to help build our faith. God can and will keep his promises to you and me, and that's maybe where you're at today. You just need to claim this first next step. It's to patiently wait through the trials I am experiencing for God to fulfill his promises to me. Maybe you just need to claim that today for yourself. Abraham and Sarah had to exhibit a great deal of faith as they waited 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. And it was. That's what we see in verse 2. Sarah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. This happened when Abraham was 100 years old. That seems amazing to us, but God's able to do the miraculous. God continued to sustain Abraham in his old age because he remained alive until this promised son grew to be an adult. He got to see him uh, become an adult. God's sustaining power is incredible. And see, that takes us back to our big idea that faith in God's promises releases God's power. This promised son came at the very time God intended for him to come and according to the promise given the year before. God waited for Abraham and Sarah to be as good as dead so that their son would be a miracle from him and not just from a natural process. Paul speaks about this in Romans uh, chapter 4. Verses 17 to 21. Listen to these words. Romans 4, 17 to 21. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, that's incredible, He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. There's that, that, that's that's the big idea today. Like faith in the promises of God releases God's power. That's what Abraham was, was believing And that's what he experienced. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 and 21 tell us this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's the God that we serve. He's an all-powerful God. He can do the supernatural. He can do what man cannot do. And we see that here. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And while we see the faith and patience of Abraham and Sarah, we also see Abraham's obedience. Look at verses 3 to 5. This is what God's Word says. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So we see Abraham's obedience in two things, naming his son and then circumcision. So I want to just give you this note because I thought it was kind of neat. Both Isaac and Jesus were named before they were conceived. So we see that in Genesis 17, 19, and then Luke Luke 1, 31. Both mothers conceived through God's supernatural activity. Both sons fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. So that note I thought was just kind of cool when I read it. And I was like, that's, that's pretty neat. So they were both named before they were conceived. Both their mothers conceived supernaturally and both fulfilled the Abrahamic promise. One was at the beginning and one was at the end. 
He gives him the name Isaac, just as God had directed him. Genesis chapter 17, verse 19 is where we see that. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. The name Isaac actually means he laughs. Doesn't God have a great sense of humor? Like, Sarah laughed, Abraham laughed, and God's like, I'm going to name him, he laughs. There you go. You'll never forget. Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 to 17. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. I'm sorry. Uh, Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And as we saw in Romans chapter 4, Abraham's laughter was not without faith. He still believed that God was able to accomplish what he had promised. Kyle and Dillich say Isaac was designated as the fruit of omnipotent grace working against and above the forces of nature. That's our God. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, working against the forces of nature. Of course, he's created nature, right? So what is that to him? That's nothing. Abraham not only names his son Isaac in obedience to the Lord's command, he also circumcises him. On the eighth day after Isaac's birth, Abraham circumcised him. We see that in Genesis 17, verses 10 to 12. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. So our second principle today is this. God is pleased when his people obey his commands. We see Abraham doing that two ways, naming his child and and, uh, completing the covenant uh, that God had laid down. Abraham was obedient to the commands of God. Are we obedient to the commands of God? This is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Francis Chan, in his book, Letters to the Church, he writes this, and uh, it was just so powerful when I read it, and then this is a book that the board has been reading uh, through together as well. He says, There is a simple exercise I walk through with church leaders. First, I have them list all the things that people expect from their church. They usually list obvious things like a really good service, strong age-specific ministries, a certain style, volume, and length of singing, a well-communicated sermon, conveniences such as parking, a clean church building, coffee, childcare, etc. Then I have them list the commands of God, the commands God gave the church in Scripture. Usually uh, they mention commands like love one another as I have loved you, John 15, 12. Visit orphans and widows uh, in their afflictions, James 1, 27. Make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2, etc. I then asked them what would upset their people more if the church didn't provide the things from the first list or if the church didn't obey the commands in the second list. God had given clear commands in the Old Testament. He expected his people to obey, 613 things to be exact. Then along the way, those uh, people created additional traditions God never actually asked them to do, but they felt were good ideas. Honoring traditions made the Pharisees feel like they were obeying God when they actually weren't. Many of us have become so accustomed to various traditions that we genuinely think they are commanded. 
And we get upset about those, don't we? He gives some examples uh, in the book about different things, and it's just amazing um, that some people think that way. Like, they get upset about things that are traditions and not about the fact that the church isn't doing the commands of God. Francis Chan's comments hits close to home for many of us. Are we more concerned about our expectations being fulfilled and traditions being followed or obeying the commands of God? How are we doing with obeying God's commands? You know, I know for myself, and I'm guessing the same is true for every one of us, that we can improve in the area of obeying God's commands. Every one of us can improve in that. That's what pleases the Lord. So the second next step today might be for you, and that's to choose to obey God's commands and identify at least one command where I need to improve. And then take the steps necessary to do that. Imagine what it, would, it would, what it will look like when we focus on obeying the commands of God instead of our own expectations and traditions. The Lord will be pleased and we will be more unified, holy, and loving. What an incredible opportunity we have to continue to develop these qualities as followers of Jesus Christ. Abraham obediently followed the commands of God, and Sarah worshiped the Lord for his grace extended to her. We see that in verses 6 and 7. She is overjoyed. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So Sarah's laughter was transformed before she laughed to herself. We see that in Genesis 18, 12, and 13. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Well, I really have a child now that I am old? Now she laughs openly and encourages others to join in her laughter. Sarah credits God with changing her laughter of incredulity into joy. All will now laugh in joy and amazement with Sarah. That's what Wolke says. Even Sarah's statement about her nursing a child shows the joy she's experiencing. Who would have ever guessed that it would be said of Abraham that Sarah would be nursing a child? Principle three is this. God is glorified when we rejoice at the display of his sovereign power. God is glorified. The birth of Isaac obviously helped to strengthen Sarah's faith. How often does the display of God's sovereign power strengthen our faith? When the initial diagnosis says there's something there that needs further investigation, but when the time comes for that appointment, the doctors cannot find what was originally there. Our faith is strengthened in an all-powerful God. The end of the month is coming, but there's not, enough, uh, there's not any more money to pay bills, and someone anonymously drops off an envelope with money in it. And our faith in an all-powerful God is strengthened. The furnace, air conditioner, or vehicle breaks down and we don't have the money to repair it, but God provides the money through the benevolence fund at church or through other people. And our faith in an all-powerful God is strengthened. So how have you seen the display of God's sovereign power in your life? Have you allowed it to strengthen your faith? Have you taken time to rejoice and thank the Lord? for that display of power. And that's the third next step today, is to rejoice in the Lord for displaying his sovereign power in my life. Baldwin, 
in the commentary the Bible speaks today says this, nothing can give such deep, lasting satisfaction as the faithfulness of God demonstrated in the fulfillment of his promises, especially, perhaps, after a long time of expectant waiting. Nothing can give us lasting satisfaction in the faithfulness of God. So are you waiting patiently for the Lord to fulfill his promises to you? What command of God do you need to improve upon? Do you need to rejoice in God's sovereign power at work in your life? You know, God has given promises to his church as well, so we have to wait patiently for his timing to fulfill those. God has given, us his, uh, given his church commands that we need to be following. And corporately, we need to rejoice when we see God display his sovereign power in the life of the church. <laughs> I want to read this illustration to you. We become so used to reading about miracles in the pages of the Bible that it's easy to lose an appreciation for how startling they are. In an attempt to recover the wonder, let's take a moment to observe the response to such an occurrence in the modern medical context. <clears throat> the details of the following account were reported in the Chicago Tribune, September 8, 1981. A woman whose ovaries ceased to function almost three years ago has given birth to a healthy nine-pound baby girl, baffling doctors at three hospitals. It is impossible, impossible, the 35-year-old woman quoted, one of the doctors is saying, when he detected a fetal heartbeat. In effect, the birth took place after the woman had gone through menopause, her doctors said. The woman had been diagnosed with premature ovarian failure and was told she did not have to worry about getting pregnant. A further complication was that the woman was on hormone medications to ease the symptoms of menopause. These medications typically <clears throat> serve as effective contraceptives. Dr. Jerry Rakoff, director of the Scripps Clinic Medical Group's Fertility, it's a long title, um, center, there we go, I had to get to the next page, <clears throat> had, had confirmed the diagnosis of another physician, but was also the one who, who eventually discovered that the patient was pregnant. Rakoff said neither he nor Dr. John Willens, the university hospital physician who delivered the baby on August 18th, that's a good day, <clears throat> had ever heard of birth by a woman with a well-documented case of premature ovarian failure. Rakoff said that there is no medical therapy to reverse premature ovarian failure. He said that he and Willens believe an egg may have been left after the ovaries shut down. <clears throat> Three years this is not a picture of that woman, by the way, but this is a picture of a woman who struggled with uh, premature ovarian um, failure. I couldn't find a picture of the original lady. Uh, there's another lady, as I was uh, searching it, that uh, had a baby 20 years after this premature ovarian failure. 20 years. <clears throat> and so we, so we can see that even in today's world of medical sophistication, this is a remarkable obstacle for God to overcome. He's all-powerful. He, he can do anything. And so I, I think this is amazing. This, Isaac is this promised child. And what's so amazing about this, this is the beginning of where Jesus comes from, right? This is the line through which Christ comes. This is what we're celebrating at Christmas time. And so I just want us to, to think about that just a little bit this morning. In Matthew, i got to get all the way back here. I want, us to help, I, want, want us to help, I want to help us understand where Jesus came from. Here we go. 
This is the, um, the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here's where it all came, comes from. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerab, or Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nishan, Nishan the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. <clears throat> David was the father of Solomon, whose mother uh, had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Je Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uziah. Uziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of uh, Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of uh, Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of uh, Mat Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. That's right. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's the genealogy. This is where it all began. This is why this is so important. This is why um, Hagar's son, Ishmael, was not the chosen and covenant son. It was to be Abraham and Sarah, through which Jesus Christ would come. Had Isaac not been born, Christ would not have been born. Aren't you glad he was? Aren't you glad that God stopped Abimelech and Pharaoh from spending any time with Sarah? Because they needed to come through Abraham and Sarah. Now, the cool thing is, and this ties it back to the title, God is legit. He does things just in time. I want to read Galatians chapter 4 very quickly for you. Not the whole chapter, by the way, just two verses. <laughs> Listen to what God's Word says. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Isn't that incredible? And then back in Romans, I got to get there. I'm going to have to wipe my eyes because I'm not going to be able to see otherwise. One more passage for you that I just want to read. How it relates to Christmas time is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. This is what God's Word says. You see... in just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man 
though for a good man, someone might possibly die or dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's why Christmas is so important. That's why what we're studying in the book of Genesis is so important. It's all tied together. See, the Bible is the story of Jesus from beginning to end. And he came at just the right time. So I don't want you to forget that today. Isaac came at just the right time, and so did Christ, so that we might be forgiven of our sins. So we can praise the Lord in that today. As the worship team comes, would you bow your heads with me as we just commit this to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we come to you today. We thank you for the fact that you do things in just the right time and just the right way. According to your plan and your purpose. Lord, we thank you that you allowed Abraham and Sarah to conceive even in their old age. You did it in a supernatural way so that you would be glorified. We thank you that he came at just the right time and that through that line, you sent your son Jesus at just the right time so that we might have life. Lord, I pray that you would just work in each heart and mind by your Holy Spirit now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?